This is a Cross Grace Lutheran Church sermon podcast. On Sunday, October 25th, 2020, we gathered to worship on Reformation Sunday. Pastor Mark Havel preached. Our gospel this morning is from the eighth chapter of John's gospel. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They said to him, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but The sun has a place there forever, so if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. So I came across an old file this week with an even older story in it, and it struck me as particularly relevant for Reformation Sunday. From what I could tell, thanks to some help from Google, it was a story written by a woman named Anne Hebert and was part of a book by an old, recently deceased religion professor from my undergraduate alma mater, which I suppose is how I ended up with this story in my file in the first place. His name was Carl Scrady. Anyway, this story is called The Garden, and it's been rewritten a couple of different times in a couple of different ways, again, from what I could tell anyway. And so I took a few liberties with it myself, but not too much. It goes like this. In the beginning, there were more than just Adam and Eve, really. In the beginning, God made a whole bunch of us. He made a whole bunch of us because he wanted us to have a whole bunch of fun. And he said, you can't really have fun unless there's a whole gang of you. So God put us all together in a place called Eden, which was a combination garden and playground and park and told us to go and have a great time. At first, we did have fun, just as God had planned. We rolled down hills, we waded in streams, we climbed up trees, we swung on vines, we ran in meadows, we frolicked in the woods. We were filled with joy. We laughed a lot. Life was good. And then the snake slithered its way into Eden with the good news. The snake told us we weren't having real fun because we weren't keeping score. Back when we had no idea then what score was, and even after the snake explained it, we still couldn't see what was supposed to be so fun about it, but the snake insisted and said, we should give an apple to the person who was best at all the games. Now that sounded like fun, and it made some sense that keeping score was the only way to know who was best and who, as a result, should get the apples. The reason it sounded fun was, of course, because secretly we were all sure we were the best. Things were different after that. We yelled a lot. We argued. We pointed fingers. And we spent more time making up rules for all of our games and keeping score than we did actually playing and having fun, except for the frolicking. 
There are no rules for frolicking, which makes it impossible to score. So we just stop doing that altogether. When God saw what we were up to, God wasn't happy. God was sad. God was mad. God was wroth with anger. Very, very wroth. God said we couldn't use the garden anymore because we weren't having fun. We told God we were having lots of fun and that he was just being narrow-minded because it wasn't exactly the kind of fun he'd originally thought of. God wouldn't listen. God kicked us out and said we couldn't come back until we stopped keeping score. And to rub it in, to get our attention, God said, God told us we were all going to die and that our scores wouldn't mean anything anyway. God was wrong. Really, it was life in the garden that didn't mean anything. Fun is great in its place, but without scoring, there's really no reason for it. We were lucky to have figured that out. We're all very grateful for the snake. Sounds silly, right? But it's a great story. It's an interesting take on creation in the garden and what humanity did with the promises God offered. But it is silly, ridiculous. No one would admit to being grateful for the snake. No one would suggest you can't have fun without keeping score. No one should imply that being banished from the garden was a good thing. Or would we? I think this is a story Martin Luther might have told back in the early days of the Reformation. Because Luther was trying to get people to realize what we'd done with the promises of God. Luther was trying to change the way we in the church looked at life as followers of Jesus. Luther was trying to get us to reconsider the ways, the many ways we were making up rules and keeping score and not being true to God's best intentions for our lives. Remember in Luther's day, back in the 16th century, people were keeping score in their own way with rituals and rules and with riches too. You could pay for your salvation, literally. You could visit a holy shrine as a way to earn your way into heaven. You could be sure God's grace was for you by explaining to others why it couldn't possibly be for them. All of this made Martin Luther sad. It made him mad like God in the garden. Luther was wroth with anger, very, very wroth. It really wasn't much different than what was going on in the days of Jesus either. Just like those who got kicked out of the garden so quickly, the followers of Jesus were screwing up by keeping score too. The Pharisees were finding fault. The Sadducees were throwing stones. The scribes were scribbling down their rules. All of it was about who was right and who was wrong. Who was earning God's favor and who was reaping God's judgment was about who was winning with the most points, maybe, and who was losing with the lowest score, you might say. But God's rule book is all about getting us back into something like the garden. And I believe God is more saddened than he is wroth with anger when it comes to our scorekeeping. We were always meant to be happy and joyful and fulfilled, and free. What Jesus taught us and what Martin Luther reminded us is that grace is ours for the taking. It's God's original intention 
for our lives. Grace is the gift that clears the tote board. Grace levels the playing field. The grace of God evens all the scores. Because of grace, we don't have to hold on to guilt for ourselves. We can trust in God's forgiveness even when we can't forgive ourselves. Because of grace, we don't have to bear grudges either. We can forgive and we can forget and we can move on. Because of grace, we don't have to compare. We can just be ourselves. We don't have to play dirty. We can play fairly. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses. We can live within our means. Because of grace, we can give with gratitude because we get to, not because we have to. Because of grace, we don't have to be afraid of the future. We can enjoy this life as it is with which we've been blessed. But this kind of grace is a hard sell still for people like us, isn't it? We are still very much about keeping score in almost every realm of our lives, aren't we? You can't turn on the TV without being scared by the statistics of this virus whose numbers are on the rise again. And all that makes us measure the stock market and worry about 401ks and bottom lines. Pastors and church councils and congregations of all stripes are watching, counting attendance numbers and wringing their hands over the offering plates. In another election like the one overwhelming our nation again, we are consumed by the polls that have us counting and comparing and losing hair and sleep and friends sometimes because of it all. We count calories and chemo treatments and lab results and test scores of all sorts. We count birthdays and anniversaries with all kinds of mixed emotions. And we count days and months and minutes and years since we've seen our loved ones last or until we might get to see them again. It is exhausting, all of this counting. And all this counting makes it so easy to lose sight of what has already and what will ultimately save us in the end. What will really get us back to the garden or back into the household, as Jesus says it this morning. The truth that will make us free, I mean. Several years ago, Billy Graham was in Indianapolis for one of his revivals. Before the big event, he held a special, smaller event, a revival just for pastors and church leaders. And I know someone who was there. They told me that during a question and answer session, another pastor in the crowd asked Billy Graham what the one thing was that people in the world needed to know. Billy Graham thought about it. And he said that the one thing people needed to know was this thing about grace. And supposedly, Billy freaking Graham said that Lutherans were the sleeping giant of the Christian faith. Because if the Lutherans could just unlock and tap into and find out how to best share their foundational understanding of God's grace, that Lutherans could change the world. That is a special charge and a holy responsibility to wonder about on 
Reformation Sunday as Lutheran-flavored Christians. In these days, when the church and when the world still seem so hell-bent on keeping score so much of the time. So let's remember that God's grace means to be true freedom in our lives and for the world around us. And that only by living in it, by sharing it with others, will we catch a glimpse of those days we used to know back in the garden, before anyone tempted us or tricked us to know otherwise, before we became slaves to the sin of scorekeeping and making believe that we have the right to judge others or that we have the power to save ourselves. The truth, with a capital T, is that there is real freedom in acknowledging that we can do neither of those things. And when we start living differently because of that truth, when we start living into that freedom, we might just wake the sleeping giant of God's grace and let it loose in our lives and for the sake of the world. Amen.